What's up, everybody? We are back. Welcome to Real Chronicles, brought to you by RealTalking.com. I am your host, David. I am joined my with my constituents today, Jennifer. Hey, guys. And returning to the podcast today is Mr. Lucky Leo. What is up, good sir? Yo, I've, uh, I've returned from my stay at the Overlook for the last five months. <laughs> very oh! nice. Very nice. I love it. I, I love, love it. that. <laughs> and su- making a great substitution for Ryan today. Happy anniversary to Ryan and, and Casey. Casey. I was like, Ryan's not the only one celebrating an anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> JC leaving the round table to join the Chronicles. What's up? Not much. Happy to be here again. Awesome. So today, Leo is bringing his knowledge of the Overlook Hotel that he's been in over the last few months as we celebrate the 40th anniversary of one of my favorite horror films of all time, a horror masterpiece, The Shining. And we're also going to look at Dr. Sleep and one of my favorite documentaries of all time, Room 237, which Leo saw for the first time this week. And then JC saw it and he thinks it's all bullshit and I can't wait to dive into it. (laughs) (laughs) so let's get into it right away with uh, a little bit of follow-up from last week when we talked about mulan's great numbers potential numbers that it was outperforming hamilton on disney plus well we actually got numbers this week where mulan has nine million purchases on disney plus i did the math that's about 260 million dollars in nine days so I was one that said I think this movie was going to do well on Disney Plus in terms of numbers and the percentages that it had to make to be successful. I personally don't think that this movie would have made $250 million in nine days domestic. Uh, I don't know. So I'll kick it off with Jen. What do you think about those numbers? Um, well... I mean, I guess Jenny doesn't care about Mulan. Yeah, Jenny doesn't I care don't about care. Mulan. <laughs> she, she, Is that liked, okay? she liked Mulan, and but she doesn't care anymore. Any thoughts no, on no, that? No, no, it's not that. It's uh, yes, no. I love the movie. I thought the movie was great. Um, I kind of don't care about the numbers. I feel like what is the box at this point with everything that's kind of more important going on in the world? And I understand you have this return on investment that you make into these movies, and you want to see it back. Um, I think people have a lot to worry about over than just purchasing entertainment although entertainment is good because you can also this is a, this is distract. an entertainment podcast jennifer huh this is an entertainment podcast jennifer yes i know but that but that's okay i have a <laughs> i'm not the only we may have a listener that maybe feels like i didn't want to spend that money on mulan you know like there's nothing wrong with that either or but i just feel like you know i don't know the box office seems so like well, I think this is important because. So for me, this is. This, I love the movie. Go watch the movie. This could so spend the thirty dollars is what you're saying after you just said don't spend the thirty dollars. Well, <laughs> there are many ways to watch a movie. Yeah, but so <laughs> I just think this is a wait till December. Yeah, so I think this is a. Good, I know a lot of people doing that. Yeah, I think this is a good, good, good look at what the future may hold for certain Disney releases, with the idea of like this movie made two fifty in nine days. What else can we throw on here? I think Marvel's safe. I think I don't. I don't think we get a Marvel Soul's movie. Soul's definitely getting that. But yeah, that's exactly where I was leaning with regarding to the the future. We have Soul coming out, which I think is going to Disney Plus. But do you think JC and Leo? Do you think this could spell 
an online release despite what we're hearing about Black Widow? Um, I don't know. I feel like with Soul is different because that's more like a kiddie movie where you know, like that's like more for families. Like with Black Widow, you have people, uh, um, people of all ages, and I feel like that, like with Marvel, you know, it's like they really, I feel like they think the same like Nolan, like with the big screen treatment. But if they were to release it, I would pay the thirty dollars for Black Widow. I didn't pay for Mulan, so I haven't seen it. I'll maybe I'll wait till December. Maybe I'll get around to some other time. But if Black Widow gets released that way, I'll definitely, I'll definitely pay for it, the thirty dollars. But they're talking about changing, I think, to take the Eternals date, which I believe more than that was. So I have more faith that Soul goes to Disney Plus than Black Widow. Do you think that before we move to Leo, do you think they'll charge for Soul, or do you think it'll be a free? Nah, they'll they'll need to make their money because remember when with Onward. They went after theaters closed. They left it in VOD for two weeks, and then they put on Disney Smart. Plus to make some more investment. Like, there's no way that this is gonna release a movie that was directly supposed to be in theaters for free. Remember, it's, it's all it's all a money game. And you, like you said, you you invest in that, they need to get yeah yeah money. Exactly, Leo. Thoughts? Yeah, pretty much to echo exactly what JC and Jenny are mentioning. Like, it is about money, right? And I think the success here does at least open the door to a more comfortable Black Widow release. I don't think it'll go that way, but like, kind of like what Jenny mentioned, people are worried about other factors right now other than like going to the movies, and this might make it a little bit more comfortable where like, instead of like, I know the movie theaters are opening up little by little by little, but at least now Disney might think it an option or a little bit more of a realistic option to do it digitally. Um, But hopefully they won't get to that point. Hopefully they'll be able to release it in movie theaters and just make their money that way. But at least now the door is a little more open to a point where it's like, all right, at least we're not going to lose completely. We're, we're still going to make our money. Yeah, I agree. I just think with the the reason that Black Widow thing came up was because it was revealed that the WandaVision show is still releasing in 2020. So I'm, I'm just thinking continuity wise with Marvel, how they want everything in yeah. a specific order. I was wondering if they're going to do some form of movement. I think uh, we'll go back on what JC said. Uh, I don't think it gets the eternal dates. If it gets moved, I think it gets mid-January because that way it'll give it three, four weeks between the release of Black Widow and the Eternals. And they've done this before. So it's not like they haven't done like a four-week gap between a release. But I guess we'll see We'll see what happens there. Uh, next bit of news is uh, something that scared me at first until I read up on it. We're getting a Godfather series. And I got to give JC all the props on this because we're talking off the line. And I thought it was just like a reboot series. And JC pretty much laid down what it is jc you want to touch on that i think it's i think it's a great move like as we spoke about it you know like it gives especially with the original with the title's gonna have the death of michael corleone which is like you told i remember you mentioned that's like exactly what coppola wanted which is good because i feel like i mean i feel like he's he had creative vision and uh, freedom with like the third one i don't think he really had like had a compromise too much most of us here we don't hate the godfather three well yeah is it better is it as as good as one and two no of course but it's not a bad movie but, you know, like I feel like with this restoration and everything, like adding like a new beginning, a new end, and then going with the original title, I feel it could help people that might not be, be big fans of the, of that movie. So, thing. Wait, yeah. so JC, is, is, oh, is it sorry, a series sorry. that's going to expand on the movie or what is it going to be exactly? Leo, so The Godfather is getting re-released in December, Godfather Part 3, and Coppola is redoing the beginning, the ending, and he's I think he's tightening it up so it could be his vision of what he wanted that movie to be. And like going back on what JC said, the title of the movie is now actually going to be called what he wanted it to be called originally, which is the death of Michael Corleone. Is this the Coppola yeah. Snyder cut? No, it's actually oh, I was 
staying away from that. So it's actually. So, <laughs> I am gonna bring it. So it's actually gonna be a good movie. Oh, it's gonna yeah, be a it's good gonna be movie. a good movie. Not not a Snyder not a Snyder movie. It was already, it already got nominated for seven Oscars. Yeah, about yeah. the. <laughs> <laughs> I, bought the, no, but, <laughs> I bought the making of the stuff. I think it's a good idea because you know, a lot of people don't know that like Robert Reff or Jack Nicholson were offered um, the Michael Corleone and a few other people. And it'll be cool maybe like they show like the audition because if it's set episodes, they're probably going to go from the stages where, you know, where like they were casting and everything, then the making. And I hope they have that line where, where um, when they hired Coppola, where they, like, they wanted to, I think, like taste the spaghetti or some stuff like that. They wanted like a really talented director to to make because you know like in the early 70s they had just had american directors tell stories about like Italian mafia yeah it's true i so yeah pretty much leo what the series is going to be is going to be on paramount paramount plus i believe that's what the network's called and yes. it's going to be just a, a series on the making of the godfather but isn't paramount uh, plus what used to be CBS? All CBS all access. yeah they know only old people watch cbs so they hey. decided to change it and have hey, uh, yeah they probably <laughs> They probably felt like, why they, Why am I going to pay for for a thing that I already have the channel of? You change the name, people might get it. They'll think it's a whole new streaming stuff. Yep. Yeah. Like, I want it just to see the, the, the Godfather series. And then I'll cancel it. Because, Dave, is it going is, is to be more documentary type? Or is it gonna yeah, be so like it's going to be like Hollywood type? It's going, I think it's going to be like The Last Dance. Is like, this, I was going to say a 30 uh, for 30. Yeah. Which won the Emmy. So it won the oh, Emmy won for Best Documentary. Dance. Yes. It won the Emmy on Saturday night. So we're looking forward to this Godfather series. We'll see what happens. Next bit of news. I haven't seen this show, but this is relating to Lovecraft. Jonathan Majors was cast in Ant-Man 3. I haven't seen the show. Jen, have you seen the show? I haven't watched it yet. And Leo, have you seen the show? I have not seen the show, but I heard the news. Yep. And, so, the, and who he's cast as, And too. then, JC, I, I know you told, told me out the line you watch the show, so if you want yeah, to comment. Yeah, I saw the first two episodes. It's really, it's really strong. It's like, like it definitely feels like a Lovecraft stuff. I haven't read his stuff, but I've seen some movies adapted of his work, and it's very like similar to it. And like with Jonathan Majors, I've been a fan of his since I saw him in White Boy Rick and Hostiles. And, um, and uh, he was really good in... Um, well, he was good in the Five Bloods, so like this is a great move for him. Like it makes sense because I heard that uh, like DC had won him too, so I guess Marvel snatched him up before they had a chance. Of nice. course. And then Leo, you want to reveal who he's playing? Yeah, the, the well, the rumors are that he's uh, he's been cast to play Kang the Conqueror, um, who is a lot to do with time travel, and he's like I guess he's like pretty big bad if he really comes down to it. Like I honestly, after the uh, the ending of the Infinity Saga with Thanos, I immediately thought that Kang would be an awesome big bad for this second wave of Marvel movies um, because he's super powerful. He's got a lot of history with the Avengers, with the Fantastic Four. Um, but yeah, huge into time travel, which I guess they're going to tie into the quantum realm, which makes the Ant-Man 3 a perfect fit. Yeah, and I think finally it, Ant-Man gets a good villain. Will it tie into yeah. Doctor Strange, you think, too? Or no? I, I still... I, I think it'll be introduced in the movie, but I don't think he's going to be like a one and done type villain. I think it's going to grow into like a, a big, big Thanos. bad for the whole team. No, yeah. yeah. So it, it said that it's going to be like, it's not a one off, which is probably like you said, it's maybe a good way to introduce the Fantastic Four. Which I think we're finally, I think we're going to get that sooner than later. So I think yeah. we're getting that in Doctor Strange is when I think we get the Fantastic Four finally, or at least the first idea or the x-men actually i think with that with the doctor strange film i think we'll find out we'll get the first look at magneto of who you know who 
her his daughter is. I think we're actually going to get that here, but I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. And then last bit of news is more of a comedic thing because I was like laughing at Snyder Cut news. Uh, <laughs> I. I, I uh, you always gotta throw some, some yeah it's, some Snyder does no we, matter what we need new comedy we, we I love consistent comedy on this podcast and Snyder cut news is always hilarious so this is actually not particularly dealing with the Snyder cut itself but just like his DCEU and apparently there is a rumor going around that Christian Bale George Clooney have been in have been in contact with Warner's to appear in the Flash movie oh God. I, I thought I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, I'm like, that's not gonna happen. I mean, maybe, maybe Clooney could redeem himself from that from that guilty pleasure of yours. I was about to say, don't you talk bad about Batman and Robin on this podcast? Uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. I yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's just hilarious that now they're that they're making this kind of uh, these rumors appear. I think with the uh, with the if one were to happen, I do think it's gonna be Bale because of the he's already back involved in the comic book genre with being in the in the new Thor film. So I could see him doing it. Clooney, I, 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 I just don't see that happening. I mean, he could re- want to redeem himself because he, 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 he takes a lot of blame for like destroying the franchise, and he did it. And like Leo and Leo and Jen can attest, they love his head bod, Bob and Batman <laughs> and Robin. Oh man, it's, it's I never realized it until I said it. We did, yeah, yeah you, we talked about it, and then like we watched it again, and we did the episode, and it's just like wow, he really just. Bob's 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 whole fucking movie. And I I don't know if it was just like an era of Bob's because he's also in One Fine Day with Michelle Pfeiffer that I love and he bobs a lot there too. So. Did, did, did he do it on ER cuz I never saw ER. I never really I saw ER. He ER. So he might have Oh, but you know what? He does bob. I did see obviously his beginning from uh when he was on The Facts of Life. So he did do some bobbing there but like with like this mullet haircut. So. I thought we were going to say Roseanne. <laughs> oh no! Well, that was around the time that he did a lot of TV too. And wasn't he and on the Golden started. Girls too? He did an episode. Yes. Awesome. All right. So that's sure. bit, that wraps up the news for the week. We gotta welcome back Leo with some movie tagline before we get into The oh, Shining. Man, so, <laughs> don't go easy. So we have six here. They're all horror related because we're all we're dealing with The Shining today, and okay. I don't know how easy. Are they these- just all The Shining? Like we just keep saying the shining. No, the shining. None of them are the shining. So that, there's your hint. All right. Oh, Some man. of these, I will say, one of these is Stephen King. So are these like A, the, I got these like A level King. horror movies or like B level horror movies. Um, some of them are A. It's between A and B, I would say. Okay. All right. So I'll kick it off with Leo. And remember, the next scream you hear may be your own. Uh. Aliens? <laughs> no. Alien? No. No. JC, any guesses? Scream? No, the bird. Oh. Uh, okay. I was, right. gonna think, I was gonna say psycho at first, but I'm like, nah. The psycho the psycho tagline is actually a lot more obvious. I think it actually has the word shower. You'll never shower the same again or some bullshit like that. Mm. Oh, that's don't don't ever use that on Ryan. That's I will. Easy. He just needs to get the easy ones. All right. <laughs> Jen. When there's no room in hell, the dead walk on earth. Um, well, it's one of these. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. It's probably George Romero. Yeah, you're, okay. Yeah. And it's, okay. Uh, yeah. Good job. Is it the yeah. living dead? No. Wrong one. Day of the dead. No, wrong one. Uh, oh, my God. There's only like two more to go. Uh, the night of the living dead. Oh, no, that's incorrect, too. It's dawn of the <laughs> dead. Dawn of the <laughs> dead. You didn't give me a second, man. <laughs> 
JC, you said you should have said, said, said Snyder's only good movie. That is true. I could have said that too. Um, <laughs> JC, this one's the, you may be the only one outside of me that knows this movie exists. So this was going to it's you. Probably what was on your Instagram story yesterday? I, I, it's not Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, okay. I, I warned you not to go out tonight. Can I get a clue? It's from the eighties. <gasps> is it? It's one of the. It's one of those terrible horror movies that you and me love. Have I seen it? No, you, oh. you. I haven't because it's very misogynistic. You're not gonna like it. Mm-hmm. Dress to kill. <laughs> <laughs> no. Dress to kill. No, maniac. Is that oh, that sh- dick movie? No, that's no. brain. Da- that's brain damage. Oh, brain da- brain damage. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's what she called. She. I told her it's a good movie, and she's like, "No, it's just it's it's so sexist." And I'm like, "That's just one scene. The movie's really not that sexist or anything like that." It's like this, like dick um yeah it's like a it's a, not it's not alien a, venom it's a parasite thingy. yeah yeah but like it just comes out of his pants and it's just like and like i don't know yeah i gotta ask and i know jen hasn't seen it leo have you ever seen the movie cannibal holocaust no i haven't okay <laughs> no cannibal don't, holocaust. Don't, I, no i don't think that's leo don't don't just don't i was just curious if you had seen it and if I you haven't don't bother many people's thing no, but if you could watch that movie, you, there's no way you you could watch any horror movie. That's actually Not, true. It's, be, it's true. Is it like Green Inferno? Remember we watched that? It's, it's, yeah, it's actually inspired. It's, uh, Green, Green Inferno, Inferno was inspired by Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, okay. But Cannibal Holocaust is a hundred times more. It's grittier. It fe- like Green yeah. Inferno feels like you're watching a movie. Cannibal Holocaust feels like you're actually watching stock footage of like people getting yeah. like killed. People doing it. It's it, I agree. Like it's from I, the seventies, seventies. No, 70s. it actually got so bad that they were they were trying to like they took the director to court because they really thought that he killed these people, his cast members. He had to like oh. produce them. No, it, yeah, it was like if you see, like it's really really graphic when you remember that before that that was before Blair Witch and all those things. So you know, it's not like you really found these movies that were supposed to be like found footage. It's not directed that style, but it's meant to be like a documentary crew just their work just got discovered and their right. deaths basically. It is one of the, I can say the only movie I have ever seen that after I finished I was like almost threw up in my mouth. Nice. Wow. It is there's a scene and JC knows where I'm talking about. So where, Leo, go watch it. There's a scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sold. I'm sold. <laughs> there's a scene and JC can attest to it, and we're getting off topic, but I it, I just have to mention it. The one where the woman, the pregnant woman is like pretty much shish kebabbed, if you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. You know what I'm well, talking we about, can't right? Spoil too much. Yeah, no, but we can't say too much. You know, we gotta make sure when Leo watches, he's surprised. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was it for me, Leo. When I saw that scene, I'm like, oh yeah, this. I was like, almost, I almost threw up in my mouth. It was. Did just, he write it also? Right, direct. JC did it write it, or did he oh, just direct that, it? That I'm not too sure, but you know, back in those days, like board directors really wrote their own stuff. Stuff yeah. it was like John Carpenter. Carpenter, yeah. So yeah, any any listener out there, uh, go watch Ca- Cannibal Holocaust. It's currently available on Shutter, <laughs> and it's it's to the point that when I it was actually one of the movies on uh, the drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs. They actually put a disclaimer before, letting oh. them know that this was the movie, and they never tell tell you what the movie is before the actual day. Didn't I watch a little bit of it with you, no. like here no. in the beginning? Is this when they like get trapped on that island? In the beginning, and like they plane crash. That's crashed. another movie. Oh, that's, that's another movie. movie. Yeah, okay. but yeah, Cannibal. That Holocaust. movie was bad. Too. Get out, get out there and watch it on Shutter. <laughs> uh, so back to our our uh, tagline. Our tagline. Let's see, Leo. The good news is your dates are here. The bad news is they're dead. 
I don't think you'll get this. Maybe Jenny. It sounds Maybe familiar. Jenny. It's an uh, it's another uh, '80s horror movie. If that helps. I uh, yeah, I got nothing. I'll go with like. Oh, I think nah, I, I got nothing. Jen. Um. It sounds really familiar, so I feel like I've I've probably watched it. This may be a spoiler, but I'll give you someone that's in it to help you. No, 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 okay. no, 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 because I because I think I know I think I know what it is. All right, all right. You give 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 her the actor. They see, no, no. Like, I can I can feel I can feel. Um. <laughs> Any guesses? Ah, uh, no. JC. Night of the Creeps. That is correct. Night of the uh, Creeps. Yeah, uh, she would have said Tom Atkins. That's exactly what I was going to say. Exactly. I was going to say Tom Atkins. All right, uh, last two. JC, sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die. It's fun to be a vampire. The Lost Boys. Yes. Really? You give him that one? That was so easy. I was the Ryan of this episode. Well, yeah, you don't like the Lost Boys, Jenny, like I do. So. No, no, it's not that I don't like it. I only saw it once. I was. I knew right away before you even said the vampire ones. I'm like, I love that movie so much. I know that tagline. So it's funny. Like (laughs) before we move on to the last one. JC, like I love, I adore the Lost Boys, and Jenny and I, had, when we started, when we were dating, she hadn't seen it, so I was like, "All right, this is the <gasps> perfect time." So we sat down and watched it, and her reaction was not. I knew what it was, and I, it has a great cast. I, I mean, expect, everybody from that time. I expected love. I know she, Lost Boys don't cry. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's not that I don't love it. I've just only seen it that once. It's so good. It's my number. It's my second favorite vampire movie after Friday Night. Yep. All right, and Leo, take us home. Sometimes dead is better. Oh my god, this is so easy, Leo. I should have done the voice, but I can't. I can't do that voice. Dead is better. Yeah, this is the Stephen. Yeah. This is a Stephen King adaptation. Oh my god, you just gave it away. Oh, there's like 95 of them. No, that, wait, that tagline. Oh, and if Jenny doesn't get it, it's going to Jenny. If Leo doesn't get it, no, this. Leo, get it. You better get it, Jenny. If he if he gives it to you. Yeah, especially she says she really likes this movie. Yo, yeah, Jenny, go for go it. Go for it. No! Um, sometimes dead is better. Dead is better. Dead. Come <laughs> on, Jenny. What Come on, Jenny. Voice? This is too easy. I can't do him. Dead, you That's, can't do him. I can't do the voice. Come on, Jenny. Oh, she doesn't. I'm going to kick myself. She doesn't know it. Yes, you are. Yeah, yes, you, you are. are. She doesn't know I'm it. I'm going to totally kick myself. Um, you, you want? Hold I on. Got a clue that she, I got a clue that help her. You like the remake better. Pet Cemetery. Yes, like, that was Herman. <laughs> Mu- that was my Herman Munster. I don't know how to do oh, that. That was, that was, that was, that was horrible, was Herman. Yeah, Munster. I got nothing on that one. I, I was I, like, "What are you talking about?" And also, it's a two. It's a. It's his TV character as opposed to who he plays in there. That's how he, he sounds started, in the movie. David sounded like the peep from The Devil All the Time. Oh. <laughs> Southern <laughs> oh my god! Oh man! All right, so that wraps up our tagline. Let's get into. Let's get in our car and head to the Overlook. So we're looking. We're gonna first kick it off by looking at The Shining, and we're gonna start off with the production of the film. So before the making of the film, Stanley Kubrick directed the film Barry Lyndon, the only Stanley Kubrick film I have not seen, and I don't have four hours for the for that movie. So it's good. So pretty much the Barry Lyndon is a visual, highly visual period of film about an Irishman who attempts to make his way into the British aristocrat. Or is that? Did I say it right? Arist- aristocracy? Arista- aristocracy. Aristocracy. There you go. Thanks, Chad. So pretty much the movie is about four hours. A lot. It got a Best Picture nomination. It was critically acclaimed, but P- 
people felt that it's it, boring. Yeah, so pretty much in a documentary I saw about Stanley Kubrick, they said that it was the work of a bored mastermind. Yeah. <laughs> and that led to Kubrick looking into what his next project would be, and he discovered uh, The Shining. So pretty much St- Stephen King was told that Kubrick had his staff bring him a stack of horror books as he planted himself into his office to read them. And then Kubrick's secretary heard the sound of each book hitting the wall as the director flung it into a reject pie after reading the first few pages. Finally, one day, the secretary noticed that it had been a while since she heard the thud of another writer's work biting the dust. It turned out to be that he was in, he was reading The Shining, which led to the movie that we ended up getting today. Uh, there's a lot of issues between Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. Uh, but in terms of the themes of the film, Kubrick stated that there's an and there's something inherently wrong with the human personality. There's an evil side to it. One of the things that horror stories can do is show us the arch- archetypes of the unconscious. We can see the dark side without having to confront it directly. So that's what he feels the theme of The Shining is. In terms of the production and time of filming, The Shining was among the first half dozen films to actually use Steadicam. And for a horror film, this is incredible the movie took over 200 days to shoot which is just ridiculously long so before we get to the box office i'll start with leo when was the first time you saw the shining oh my gosh like one of the main reasons i decided to come back to this episode specifically was when you showed me you were doing the shining i remember my first time seeing this as i was like a, i was seven years um and like my mom had like friends over the house and like some of the older kids knew that it was on tv like it was on channel 11 or something mm-hmm. and like i remember wanting to watch it to be cool um and like i think it was the elevator scene <laughs> the freaking elevator scene scarred me for life um I think then after that, you kind of like, like I grew up and I saw other scenes or other mentions of the movie that kind of like made it a little bit easier to take. But I was like seven years old on Channel 11 watching it. Yeah. And it was terrifying. What about you, JC? Um, I was in high school. Like like I had I, I had known what it was because, you know, like everybody knows here's Johnny. I was like, I was, that's when I was like getting through my Kubrick binge. Like I remember that the same, the first time I watched that was the first time I watched Clockwork. You know, like I I love it. I'm like, I feel like it's probably Jack Nicholson's best performance. Not to get nominated for an Oscar. I agree. Absolutely agree. Jenny. I think I was in college was the first time. Um, And then after that, then it was with you. Nice. So, um, yeah, I think I was in college. I'm like trying to remember. <laughs> I was I was ten. Oh, you were ten. Yeah. So was it on TV? Yes, it was on Sci-Fi. During nice. yeah, this is around the time they used to put like different horror movies on Sci-Fi during yeah. the Halloween season. And I can say like The Exorcist doesn't scare me. It doesn't creep me out. Actually, would they have put this on AMC? I yeah. Could've. During the thirty during days of horror, probably, yeah. yeah. So it may have been AMC actually. Yeah, during, I take it back because Fe- I used to watch that all the time. Same and here. obviously, there's parts that are edited out when you're on television. But yeah, okay, I take it back. AMC. So yeah, so I saw the I saw the movie, and it like in terms of being scared, I actually think that there's a sense of horror and creepiness to this film that I just don't get with with other horror films. Like it's very easy. Like I I have folks that reach out to me when I watch a film, and they're like, "Oh, did you find it scary?" And I'm like, "Oh, 
no. Like it just like The Exorcist doesn't scare me at all. It's just you know some creepy stuff. A this, well-made movie. Yeah, it's just a really well-made movie. This there's whatever Kubrick does in this film. Like there's so many things that creep me out in this movie. Just the idea because I think the important thing we're gonna get into it a little later is the fact that this makes the overlook a character in the movie, mm-hmm. and that just adds to the importance of the film and its execution because the overlook is the most haunting villain you could possibly imagine it's not the ghost it's the the hotel that that adds a levels of creepiness and we'll get into that in a bit now in terms of box office the movie premiered on may 23rd 1980 and in october 2nd 1980 in the united kingdom the european version is actually 26 minutes shorter than the american version the american version is 146 minutes box office didn't make too much money $19 million box, uh, budget with a $46.2 million box office. Didn't make too much money. The reviews, it opened to mixed negative reviews. Some of the reviews are just laughable at this point. Variety said they were critical, saying, with everything to work with, Kubrick has teamed with a jumpy Jack Nicholson to destroy all that was so terrifying about Stephen King's bestseller. A common initial criticism was the slow pacing of the movie. I don't find The Shining slow. I think it's cerebral and its choice to show these ghosts slowly rather than just like blow their load and give you everything at once i don't have a problem with it in terms of other bad reviews roger uh jc's boy gene Siskel and roger ebert they did not like the movie <laughs> no but that was a common thing a common thing with most of kubrick's work they mostly always all got like negative responses or mix and then they became the classic i mean come on he even got for rats even got nominated for a Razzie for this, which is just stupid. Yeah, spoiler alert. That's actually where I'm going to next. But uh, <laughs> Cisco and Niebuhr, pretty much, they changed their tune later on, and they called it a masterpiece. Similar to, like you mentioned, his other film, but specifically 2001. 2001 was <laughs> eviscerated by the critics. and So I think 2001 is a lot slower than The Shining. Oh, I can see that. Agreed. I can see agreed, that. Yeah. Agreed, agreed, or at least yeah. it feels like forever. No, it, and it, so, it is. <laughs> but The Shining, I feel like it's just a constant like, like I feel like it's just all this tension, and you're all, you're enthralled, you're in it, you're like watching, you're like what's happening, you're feeling all these emotions as it goes through. At least that's how I feel. So I think 2001 is more of a vi- his visual masterpiece, and ter- and it's more of a visually artsy movie, similar yeah. to like Episode Eight of Twin Peaks, which is kind of based on 2001. Oh boy, just had to throw that in there. Um, hey, but- I love it. <laughs> But The Shining is obviously... There's not a day now that David doesn't go with a Twin Peaks. We were watching The Addams Family yesterday, and he's like, look, Twin Lurch. Peaks. Lurch. Twin Peaks. It's Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. Even, though, even though he didn't realize that first, I had to bring it up to his Yeah, attention. that's all you there. He's like, Twin Peaks. All right, so moving, moving on to our first category, which is the trophy room. I'm just going to go through some of the awards that it won or nominated. <laughs> it was nominated for two Razzies. It was nominated for Worst Actress for Shelley Duvall and Worst Director for Stanley Kubrick. And then at the Saturn Awards, it was nominated for Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Horror Film, Best Music, and it won Best Supporting Actor for Scatman Crothers. So this movie should have gotten a lot more love than it did. Outside of that, right now it's ranked as the number 29 horror film, according to AFI. Jack Torrance is ranked as the number 25 villain of all time and here's johnny's ranked the number 68 movie quote of all time so it, wow yeah it's progressively they, 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 
they need they need a they need to update that that list because that stuff will be higher. I think yeah, I actually think when they I don't know what they're waiting for because it should have been done last year. So yeah, um, the when A five does it, I think The Shining cracks the hundred, the top hundred movies of all time. So that I guess we'll see what happens whenever that actually comes. So let's get into it. Age best. I will kick it off with Jen. Ooh, I'm first. I'm first. Ladies first. Let's see. Okay, so what age the best for me? So I pick five different scenes. Okay. Uh, so first, my number one is obviously Here's Johnny. Classic scene. I think anyone would be as terrified as Shelley Duvall is <laughs> if somebody's coming through, um, coming after you with an axe. Um, my number two is when Jack describes his nightmare to Wendy. Mm-hmm. And he goes through all that. My number three is obviously the twins and Danny. So come play with us. Um, my number four, which is actually a favorite scene just because visually, I think. And I just think it's such a cool effect the way they were able to do it is the elevators with the with waves the- of blood. Yeah. Like, I feel like like if I was in a hotel and it, as creepy as that, and then all of a sudden all of this, you're seeing it, whether it's in, happening or in your mind, like you're just like, what the fuck is happening? Um, my number five is um, towards the end of the movie when um, Danny's being chased through the maze. Yeah. And I think that's like terrifying, not just as a kid, if you're seeing it from his point of view, but just as as anyone Wendy, being, as an adult. Yeah. yeah, as anyone being. And and then even just like this is your father and yep. like you're just like um, and then, yeah, so that's my age best. Awesome. So I'll I'll follow up for me. Age best. I have a ton of stuff. So I think the opening shot of the uh, of the drive to the Overlook, I think it's very underrated. I don't yeah. know how I don't know how Kubrick shot that, but it is just there with the score. You kind yeah. of are kind of taught right away to prepare yourself for something. It's picturesque. Yeah, too. very creepy. And in Room Two Thirty Seven, they kind of touch on the ending of the movie, paralleling with the opening of the film. So also any scene in the Gold Room. I, I, I think any that's when the the creepiness for me goes to a hundred because I've I always feel like music from the twenties is the creepiest thing you could use in a horror film from the twenties and the thirties. Instrumental. Me. And I think it just adds a layer to it. <laughs> the, the conversation with Lloyd. The nineteen twenties is actually one of my favorite decades. Me too. Absolutely. I love flappers. I love prohibition. Like I lo- not the banning of drinking. Drinking's good. But like <laughs> but just like the, the whole secrecy of it and like just at like the times and like the women were hiking up their skirts and they were like rebelling against like the eighteenth century. Like it was just so good. So good. Yes. I do love the twenties too. But it does the music did add a layer of creepiness to it. But I like suppose, I mentioned, big anything with the gold room. Uh I, I'm not sure if you guys caught this on this uh rewatch, but that's right when the twins appearance Jen mentioned it before when she's like, come play with us, Danny, forever and ever and ever. The next scene, and I love that Kubrick did this, there's a conversation that Jack and Danny are having on his lap. And Jack is saying, don't you wish we can stay here forever and ever and ever in the same yeah. tone as the twins? And I think that's such a good parallel as to what's how Jack's transforming. Uh, what else do I have here? Um the first look at room 237, that works great. Uh, what you said before, the blood flowing through the elevator. Yeah, so cool. The first person, the all work and no play make, makes Jack, Jack a dull boy reveal. 
uh, red room, of course. The overlook carpet rug that's aged beautifully because we have that outside our apartment. You do it uh, as a welcome placement. Apollo 11 conspiracy theories that's aged beautifully. Uh, film co- film conspiracy theories as a whole has aged beautifully. Uh, Duke from Rocky's side gig when he's not training Apollo Creed. Yeah! That, that's a, that's aged really well. <laughs> uh, Jack stalking Wendy. Uh, the scene where he's going up the stairs. I love how Kubrick shot that. Uh-huh. That's age well for me, and that's what I have. JC, take it away. Well, the elevator one is like is really impressive because even if that shot was to have happened in a movie now, it would be impressive. But to have done it forty years ago, mm-hmm. like that, no, it's like the fact that that Kubrick was able to do that's like a really great shot. Because like, remember at that time, horror was just coming off Halloween, you know, so that was not the type of horror that people were used to seeing, which I think has a lot to do with why I got a negative response. Yep. And then two more, which is kind of like meme thing, like the. The end is because you know you see a lot of meme like when it's cold like where when um when Jack is like frozen they use that a lot of meme to describe how it's cold outside. Yep, I feel that's age walking. You know, like anytime your movie becomes a meme, you know it's gonna get a new popul- uh, new uh, uh, new popularity with with the younger crowd. And then the the room two thirty seven sequence when when they when they when Spielberg recreated it. Yes, I feel like like you know a lot of people that maybe had not you know they they saw a Ready Player One because you know the video game stuff. And it's the, the love for Spielberg. If they had never heard of The Shining, they probably saw that sequence that maybe they wanted to know where it was from and then maybe they discovered the movie. Agreed. I actually have that in my fun facts. I, I It's my favorite, one of my favorite scenes from 2018. Like, just the fact that they replicated it so perfectly. It was, was mad props to Steven Spielberg. Leo, what about you? Yeah, no, uh, just to echo what you guys said, the the carpet, the Definitely, I, I remember seeing it on your on your welcome mat, and I'm like, that's perfect. <laughs> the the opening score, the opening score sequence, just the music sets the tone for this, and it's something that like I guess it freaked me out when I was younger, and now as an adult, I can appreciate it even more. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one of those like mood setting music that's just like it just terrifies you even more than some jump scares do. Um, the elevator scene, the twins, um, the um, I put the tracking shots in the hallway. Any tracking shot in the hallway of any character just aged really, really well. It's yep. really beautiful. Um, the one thing I think aged the best is something that uh, all of us can now, I guess, identify with. Being locked inside for five months. Yes. Will make <laughs> yes. Anyone go crazy. Oh, yeah. And, I ha- and, and, I, I'm the mar- and I'm the married one here, and I have not bought my axe yet, so... Whoa, whoa, whoa. It turned Jenny into an actual cat lady. Yeah, it did. It did. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. But he's so cute, Bruce Wayne. You you nailed it, Leo. That's actually perfect. Yeah. Jen, what's age is the worst for you? I feel like I don't know what to follow up now. No, that was a great way to end the the Um, age best. So, okay. So, it really just came down. This came down to the big thing. So, the whole... I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash There you your go. Brain Let's in. go, Jenny. So, great scene, great dialogue. Obviously, we know and I know this touches more in the book than as opposed to the film, but obviously like he's an alcoholic, um especially in the beginning of the movie when Wendy's talking, I think to the child psychologist or the guidance counselor or whatever she was. Um and he's kind of he said, "Oh, he's hurt him before." Right. So, you know that he has a history of abusing Danny, you know, you can tell and especially the way she plays it. I'm sure she herself has been abused. And so I think this has this is just part of the character. So it is what it is. So, you know, I'm not 
against it, but it hasn't aged the best, especially in the age that we are now at calling out our abusers and things. But this is still an issue regardless because women that are victims of domestic violence, like they need these resources to be able to get out and things. And who knows if there was more available back then, obviously the shining wouldn't have been the same story. Um, had Shelly, had Wendy had these resources at hand that she could get out, or if maybe that counselor really was like, let's make a plan to your getaway plan so you can get out from him. But many times women that are being abused stay with their abusers because of many different reasons. And it's very hard for them. So this for me did not age well, the child abuse, the, the domestic abuse, uh, not cool. So mine, I actually piggyback off you. Uh, what's age worse? Child protective services. Why is Danny allowed to remain with his parents when it's assumed he's being abused pretty much at the beginning where she's like, he pretty much says, yo, like my dad did this and they just let them go off to the overlook. Uh, What else do I have here? It's very subtle, but I I just didn't like it. It it had no place for me. The use of the N word like towards the end of the movie. I just like it didn't fit. Like there is? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. When um cook. Yeah. when uh, he's talking to Grady in oh, the okay. in, the, like, in like the, that bathroom yeah. or that room. In the in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just it was it was out of place. Yeah, not yeah. necessary at all. Uh so that aged poorly. And <laughs> I guess this aged worse because I really feel real really bad for the person. The person that was in charge of typing all work and no play make Jack a dull boy <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> Yeah, so I, 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 I don't know who drew the short end of the straw, the short straw on that one. Uh, JC, what do you got? Well, with me, I'm a, actually, I'm going to cheat a bit. I'm going to say the age words was behind the scenes stuff, which you'll probably get into the fact, but yep. it was like how Kubrick basically treated Shelly Duvall in it, which yep. I get it. I get it. He yeah. did it to like give her a realistic reaction in the movie, but you know, with everything going on with Ray Fish or with the Me Too movement, like, you know, like how he was basically, you know, Matt, I believe she was like losing. She lost some hair while, because I think he's made her shoot like 127 times that scene. Yep. Something like that. So it was like, and then, you know, like I've seen Shelly Duvall like in an interview a few years back. Like she looks like she has a lot of mental issues. So like with everything going on with like the Me Too with the Ray Fisher stuff, like I feel like that would have slide today if he would, if, you know, if that would have came out. Like regardless of how amazing he is as a director, like I feel he would have got a lot of like that could, this could have damaged his career if it, if it had happened now. Yeah. So I, I think, think that it's worse because like it's, Similar to like what you and Jenny were saying with like the theme of abuse, like it wasn't just the movie. Like I get it, like he's a professional, so he wanted to get a real realist reaction and performance. But yeah, like what he did was really uncalled for, regardless of how much I love him as a director. Yeah, I think Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, uh, after he passed away during the press for uh, Eyes Wide Shut, talked about how difficult he is. Well, As he's a, very much he's known a perfectionist. to be a perfectionist yeah. and all that. And I mean, look, you he's not the first to abuse people that he's worked with because Alfred no. Hitchcock, Hitchcock used to yeah. abuse his leading women. Just Tippi Hedren. It's just Tippi Hedren. Well, but you don't... Okay, so Tippi Hedren is the one that is, has been the most outspoken. But you don't know about anyone else. I mean, Grace Kelly left to be the Princess of Monaco, so she wasn't going to out, out be outspoken yeah. about it. Yeah, well, you Kim know, no- you don't Kim- know. Who yeah, else. Kim- and I mean, Kim Novak, she was another big one there. She yeah, never really yeah. Said like, I doubt that he started doing that 40, 40 years into his career, just started acting like that. That's yeah, something. That's true. Because those old school directors, they're over like that. Just you know, now in this day and age, like people are more outspoken. All right, and Leo, what's age worse for you? Uh, 
yeah, no, I think you guys hit really, really good points with the abusive father and drunks. Uh, even the Grady conversation in the bathroom where he's talking about correcting his wife and correcting his daughters. Like, you do get that overwhelming sense of, like, male abuse on, on, on their wives and their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I have cigarettes at breakfast because <laughs> <laughs> when... when when uh, when when Wendy is um having that uh, the first yeah. scene with uh with her son, it, it, she's smoking a cigarette right in front of her son. I'm like, all right, maybe not the best health thing, but then again, you you're, you're the father's already abusing you guys, so I guess cigarettes not the be- like, not the worst thing, I guess. Um, kids on tricycles, not a thing anymore. <laughs> I feel like if if this were to be reshot in 2020, uh, no, that that is true. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, no, he's, that's, he's right. That's kind of the only way tricycle. I know how to ride a bike is a tricycle. I mean, I don't do it now as an adult, but <laughs> Jenny, I never learned how to Jenny, ride a Jenny bike. Ride, Jenny rides around our condo building on a tricycle <laughs> trying to learn. Well, David, you don't have Jenny's to teach like, our kids. Jenny's like, Jenny's like, I resent that. <laughs> well, because, you know, like, I don't know. That was as far as I got was like a tricycle. Yeah, really? Because then I tried and I, oh, and I nah, fell. Yeah, I feel bad. Kid. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how to ride a bike. No, we're gonna. I'm gonna I, I, pay I just, someone to teach them how to ride a bike. That's different. Continue, Leo. So I mean, although I although I do know that tricycles still exist and are still <laughs> sold, but uh, but I, I'm just saying, like, if the movie was shot in 2020, yeah. Danny would be on his iPad walking around the hotel, yep. not even with a with a tricycle at all. Yep. Um, and also, um, yeah, same thing as David. I put the uh the 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 N word uh little scene. Um, however, I think it just goes to, it goes to show more about like the time that the Grady ghost is from rather yeah, than just being like, I think, I think that's, that's the, that's the feeling I got from it. What is I'm like, that's a really antiquated way to speak of it. Cause this movie was a 1980s movie. Yeah. And I don't know if that's, it, it felt more like a 1920s type thing, which kind of like, maybe that's where the ghost is from. Yeah. Cause Grady is in the twenties, I think 1927. Yeah. So I think that actually does make good sense. All right. So let's get into our other categories. That guy award. I hope we have the same person here. I'll kick it off with Leo. Who do you have as your guy? So it's funny that that guy award, I actually put Shelly Duvall. Okay. I put what <gasps> the, she's olive. That's why. But when I saw her, as olive, <laughs> I knew her as the girl. <laughs> I knew I knew her as as the girl from The Shining. Okay. So I unfortunately saw Popeye before The Shining, so I knew she was <laughs> olive oil, that trash movie. Hey, hey, hey! You like Popeye? Hey, I, that's for a different episode. He, he, made, he made me eat my spinach. Oh my god! Oh man! <laughs> I was believe I was thinking of her first, and I'm like, oh no, she's olive oil, so I can't, I, I can't do that. JC, who do you have? Um, O'Halloran. Yeah, I Me act- too. Like he, Scatman yeah, cause like he was, he was in a few things, but I'm like, come on, that's that's his most iconic performance. Yep, yeah. same here. So I went with Scatman Carothers as well. Uh, I hope no one has anything for this. There's no crying in baseball award. Who cried in this movie? Just admit it. None of us, right? No, I don't have it. I tried to think. No, I, I was like, was there anything that made me sad? And I was like, no, not really. No, same well, I mean, here. the abuse made me sad, but it didn't make me cry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to meet the person that sat there and said, yeah, The Shining did it. <laughs> that was it. That made me cry. <laughs> um, next up, Detlef Schrimm, sixth man of the film, best supporting player. Fuck the Razzies. I, I'll kick this one off. I went with Shelley Duvall. I think she's great in this movie. Jenny? Yeah, I had Shelley Duvall also. JC, who do you have here? The Overlook Hotel. 
Nice. I like nice. that. I like that. And Leo, who do you have? I got Scatman Brothers on this. Yeah, nice. I like I, I like him. I, I don't think he's not I think he should have been in it more. I think in the book he's actually I think so. I he's think in he more of a he, does, he doesn't role. he doesn't even die, right? No, he doesn't That's die. No. Uh all right. Next. I like that he's a mentor to for Dan- Danny. Danny. Yeah, like I really And like then we see him in Doctor yeah, and then I love how they touch upon that in Doctor, Doctor Sleep. Sleep. Uh, next up, Becky O'Shea, Icebox, who was the MVP of the film. I mean... There was no one good in this movie at all. Yeah, she's lying. <laughs> she's lying. Um, yeah, I think... I uh, probably We should all have the this. same answer. No, yeah, I, we it's all, Jack Nicholson. Everyone has Jack Nicholson, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Jack Nicholson. <laughs> so, but I actually have Jack Nicholson in Stanley Kubrick's direction. I am okay. one. I am one that likes the changes that he made mm-hmm. his decision to make these changes added to the movie because the tv movie shows yeah tv yeah, movie came before this after this, after this 17 right? years after yeah. this i think it's to the point that but maybe it was also the director of the tv movie uh, no because stephen king wrote that so it was like it stayed very faithful but to me i feel like sometimes when you change certain things about books it's for the better because yeah. it gives you it gives it its own voice. I get that some fans they want it to be straight faithful, but as we see, like a lot of people love The Shining as it is. Like Stephen King is the only one that was really mad, which is understandable because you know that was like I believe his second book or something. I think it's hard because Stephen King is so descriptive in his books. Like like authors, you have to describe and you have to do that, but like no one writes like Stephen King. Like Stephen King goes every detail down. He spends hour like twelve hours a day writing every day. Like there's a lot of detail that goes into that book. So I feel like all of his books are very hard. You have to be very careful when you're taking it to the screen. But to give you an example of like whoever wrote the script for this movie. Um, Stanley Kubrick. He wrote it. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't sure if he's the he one wrote that it wrote else. it. He wrote it with someone else. Yeah. yeah. He always wrote. He wrote to all his movies. But he wrote it with someone else, yeah. right? So I know that like a lot of the abuse with Shelley Duvall came out too. That he was cutting out a lot of the lines that made Wendy a different, um, a little bit more because like in the actual book she's more heroic. That's in my fun facts. Yeah. As well. So there you go. Uh, I actually wanted to bring up since we're talking about Stephen King, how changing stuff for the book really helps. Look at it. Yeah, the ending with a turtle, and then that <laughs> the scene that people could look up on their own with the lost with the losers club. That's not in the movies, and that's disgusting that it's even in the book. You- and I have another one there for you, um, which is actually keeping with the Stephen King stuff, like with Carrie, like in the book, the mother dies from a heart attack, which Brian De Palma thought was corny. Is like after all she's done, she does have a heart attack, no. which is why he switched to when with Carrie throwing the knives at her hands and like basically crucifying her. Which that scene is sick. Yeah, the whole ending is sick. I I Such love Carrie. That's that's a, one of the best final shots ever when she comes out of the grave. Yep. I I literally that's that was probably one of the the biggest. That's how you do an effective jump scare. Yep, I agree. So and then last category here before we get into our facts on The Shining, peaks and valleys. Who peaked with this movie? I went with Shelley Duvall again here. <laughs> Shelley Duvall. Well, I put Jeez. both Shelley Duvall and Danny Lloyd. <laughs> Well, yeah, because he, he chose. He chose yeah, not Danny to. Lord for me. He chose not to act anymore. Yeah. So when we met him a few years ago, he we I I think during the panel, he was talking about he's a science uh, teacher. Yeah, he's a science teacher. He decided to oh, just quit acting so. and become a teacher. And and uh, it's in my notes for Doctor Sleep. You do see him in Doctor Sleep. Mm-hmm. In the baseball scene. Yes, yeah. sir. All right. So my my valley is Jack Nicholson. I mean, does anyone else have anyone different? That's who I have. I mean, 
I mean, he won two I Oscars have, after I, that. I, I have Tony Burton. As what? Um, as, Pete? as Larry. So Duke, Duke, Duke. You you put him as Valley. Yeah, put him as Valley. Because, I mean, after this, he... It was tough. It was tough. I was like scraping the bottom of the barrel of this, but I put him as a, as a Valley on this. So, yeah. Okay. I mean, Duke did do Rocky 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, <laughs> 10, 11... 12 and now he passed away and now I mean, his his parts did get good he bigger. did get more important to the plot i feel like he got more yeah he yep. he got more like the role was meatier at least and, I agree. And he was more well known and then now his legacy does live on in the rocky films because his uh i forgot who plays him wood yeah. harris yeah he's plays his son and and now he's creed's trainer so oh, it yeah. comes full circle please don't make a creed three all right so they definitely are Oh, they shouldn't. I think it ended Perfectly. really well. Money, money, money talks. Yeah, no, it does. It does. Even though I love Michael uh, Jordan, but like, I think it just ended really, really well for both like franchises. Yeah. All right, so let's get into our fun facts. I have a few here, so feel free to chime in on any of these. Number one, because Danny Lloyd was so young, and since it was his first acting job, Stanley Kubrick was highly protective of the child. During the shooting of the movie, Lloyd was under the impression that the film he was making was a drama, not a horror movie. In fact, when Wendy carries wow. Danny away while shooting at Jack in the Colorado Lounge, she's actually carrying a real-life dum- li- real dummy so Lloyd would not have to be in the scene. He only realized the truth several years later when he was shown a heavily edited version of the film. He did not see the uncut version until he was 17, 11 years after he was- the movie was released. Oh, wow. So... Credit to Kubrick for trying to like pretty much protect his innocence in a way, I guess. I think you can <laughs> say that for a lot of um, directors that will do that with their kids, maybe mm-hmm. with the exception of Linda Blair, because Linda. Oh yeah, Blair she had no got, choice. She had no choice. She got exposed like no, but yeah, frightened that whole movie to everybody. Uh, next up, according to Shelley Duvall, the "Here's Johnny" scene took three days to film, and they used sixty doors. Wow. Oh shoot! Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot. A of lot of this has to do with that's like, probably where the budget went. Yeah, seriously. Number three, to get Jack Nicholson. This is actually hilarious. To get Jack Nicholson in the right agitated mood, Stanley Kubrick only fed him cheese sandwiches for two weeks. Jack Nicholson <laughs> hates cheese. <laughs> this Kubrick is great. He just knows what buttons to push. Oh yeah. Number four. I can tell you right now, I would have walked off a set with him. <laughs> what with Kubrick? Yeah. Uh, you, yeah, you're not gonna, you're gonna not gonna like everything else here. Yeah. Uh, no. Next up, Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall have expressed open resentment against the reception of the film, mm-hmm. feeling that critics and audiences created Stanley Kubrick solely credited Stanley Kubrick solely for the film without considering the efforts of the actors' crew or the strength of Stephen King's novel. What do you guys think about that? Uh... Like I did, I mean, it's tough. I mean, I think everyone credits all of them today, but I guess at, that at the time, point, at the time when the movie finally started getting recognition, it became that. Um, going continuing, Nicholson and Duvall have said that the film was one of the hardest of their careers. In fact, Nicholson considers Duvall's performance the most difficult role he's ever seen an actress take on. Duvall also considers her performance the hardest time of her life. So I, I don't know who this is. You guys can maybe Jenny or Leo and JC can help me out here. I don't remember who he is in this movie. So Stanley Kubrick originally wanted Slim Pickens to play the part of Halloran, 
Pickens wanted nothing to do with Kubrick following his experience on working with him on Dr. Strangelove. I can't put a face to Sam Pickens, to Slim Pickens. Just Google Slim. it. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll Google it. <laughs> Just Google <laughs> Slim Pickens and then Dr. Strangelove and you'll get it here. I'll uh, do Sam it for Pickens you. Must have been a guy that was in, in Westerns and stuff. Maybe, yeah. So next up, Jack Nicholson suggested Scatman Carruthers to Stanley Kubrick for the film. Carruthers had a tough time on the movie with Stanley Kubrick making him do over 100 takes for one scene. Carruthers' next film was Bronco Billy, directed by Clint Eastwood, who was famous for generally only going one take. Carruthers broke down in tears of gratitude (laughs) on his first scene in that film when he realized he wouldn't have to do endless take after take, (laughs) which is pretty hilarious. Uh, Next up, Stanley Kubrick, known for his compulsiveness and numerous retakes, got the difficult shot of the blood pouring from the elevator in only three takes, which is crazy but doing a hundred for Carruthers work um let me see what else here next up upon seeing here we go I'm just curious to what you guys think of this stuff upon seeing this movie Stephen King reportedly said I think he set out to make a film that hurts people and there's more to it but what do you guys think of that quote JC what do you think I mean at least with the making of it and it's I mean I feel maybe what he thinks is like like maybe give gives maybe men ideas like of things to do, to torture their wives. Jen, she, you want to? Every director wants to affect the movie audience. Don't think in that some was way. Kubrick's intention, though. And the story. I just think Stephen, you don't think so. You nah. want to? Oh, but you want to make a movie that doesn't leave a lasting impression. I'm on talking someone? about. I don't think Kubrick made The Shining with that intention. Oh well, I don't know. Uh, Leo, any thoughts on that quote? No, so like I I, I gotta. It's it's a very confusing quote, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm mean, like I I I don't know if it's meant as like a dig like, towards the filming of the film or the reception by the audience. Um, I I gotta say I disagree. I definitely don't think that that was the intention that he that he had. But I mean, if his feelings were hurt based on what what Kubrick's choices were, I guess maybe he's right. Oh yeah, but he... I, I don't know. It's very confusing. Yeah. King continues. He said, it's like a great, big, beautiful Cadillac with no motor inside. You can sit in it and you can enjoy the smell of the leathery upholstery. The only thing you can't do is drive it anywhere. So I would do everything different. The real problem is that Kubrick set out to make a horror picture with no apparent understanding of the genre. Everything about the screams that from the beginning to end, from plot decisions to the final scene. I mean, it's. It's crazy that others have changed his work, but he has this disdain for Kubrick. He does, and, yeah. And I don't see him talk bad about like Andy Muschietti for what he changed in it or anything along those lines. It's, it's just interesting. Yeah, but I think he was he, consulted more. Yeah, on that probably the could process. be it. Yeah, I think. Well, remember, he had a he had a cameo, so he got money from that. He can't bad badmouth it. Yep. Yeah, like I think he's he's always had for the most part. And actually this may have also been the catalyst on I'm sure Stephen King has had a part in a lot of his movies, not being in it necessarily, but at least consulting with the director and hearing their choices. But Steve, uh Stanley Kubrick never consulted Stephen King on I'll anything, to, right? I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Okay. Um it's just crazy because Kubrick, anyone that knows Kubrick, I think JC correct me if I'm wrong, I would say 95% of his films are adapted from a novel? Yeah, I, I think the only maybe the, the early ones, like before he really became who he was, weren't adapted, but like Eyes Watch Stuff, Full Metal Jacket, Barry Lyndon, Lonely, Clockwork. 
Lolita. They were all adapted. And oh, Lolita, yeah. Lolita, he changed a lot on, and I just don't see I don't, for the better. For the better, yeah, definitely for the better. Um, and keep keep going with King. In particular, King disliked the casting of Nicholson as Jack Torrance. He felt that in the novel, it was pivotal that Jack was a, initially a good man who was slowly overcome by the forces of evil, and he felt with Jack Nicholson, you you weren't going to get that. Those eyebrows, man. Yeah. <laughs> that eyebrow arch. Well, apparently Stephen King was very keen on John Voight to play the role. Gross. Oh, that would have been hysterical. I'm I feel just... he could have he would have overacted, but he he probably would have done something good. It just would have been very different. JC, I like John Voight in one movie, and that's Midnight Cowboy, and I don't like John Voight in Joe, anything. Joe Buck. I don't no. like John Voight as a person. Yeah, you don't like you don't like you don't like him in Anaconda. I hate Anaconda. Oh, that's a guilty pleasure. He, he I fucking hate Anaconda. Hate Anaconda. <laughs> it's fucking garbage. <laughs> just hot garbage. That's, that's why it's a guilty pleasure. We yeah. don't do this to you. Well, constitu- all my constituents don't like it, so you know. <laughs> um, next- I can't with you, yo. <laughs> next, next up, Stanley Cooper had envisioned Shelley Duvall, and this goes back to what Jenny was saying, as a more timid, uh, dependent version of Wendy Torrance, while Stephen King mm-hmm. version was completely different. Right, she was as- more heroic. As a matter of fact, uh, Jack certain. Nicholson didn't even want Shelley Duvall cast. He wanted Jessica Lange cast as yeah. Wendy. I I think that would have been pretty dope. I think it would have been cool looking back on it now, knowing that like Jessica Lange as American Horror Story um, and all that she's done with that franchise. But like then I think about Jessica Lange in like in Tootsie. No, like yeah, like in Tootsie and I'm like, eh. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I just. Lo- I feel like this I think she's is so Shelley good. Duvall's character. She looks a little weird. She has the hair. Like I don't know. She looks and the way she played it because the way he wanted it. Like I. I don't see Jessica Lang playing an abused woman. I can see I more empowered. I can see Shelley Duvall being more because she's being meeker. She's being mm-hmm. more timid. Obviously, she was really abused there. But like it all comes out better on the page yep all right next up here despite cooper's fierce demands that we've talked about so far on the podcast jack nicholson admitted to having a great working relationship with him it was shelly duvall that had the completely different experience with him uh he would really lose his temper on her even going as far as to say that she was wasting the time of everyone on the set she later reflected that he was probably pushing her to the limits like jc had mentioned before and she, but she says she wouldn't trade the experience for anything, but it's not something that she would ever do again, which obviously makes sense. But like Jenny says, she would have walked out, right? Oh, I would have walked out. I totally would have walked yeah, out. Yeah, I feel like Jennifer J- J- uh, Lang would have definitely put up a fight. I don't think she would have taken as much as Duval did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. Um, she looks like she has uh, that bitchy, fiery thing where she where she don't take shit i also think don't you think that stanley kubrick is a little bit of a chauvinist anyway like obviously he was gonna have <laughs> no no but, exactly but, i was gonna say he's gonna say something it's a different <laughs> but hold on but it's a different time period and this is a director that has his thing so you don't think he's gonna treat his star differently with jack nicholson much uh, more different and then obviously like if shelly duvall in person is also a much meeker character and a much like maybe she just doesn't and this is what this is her job. She needs it. Like, like, cause Jack Nicholson could have walked off. He didn't need Stanley Kubrick. He already had a career by then. Mm. Yeah. yeah. He, had a, 
He had an Oscar. He, he, he had an Oscar, but Stanley he Kubrick. he had his one his cuckoo's nest. I don't know. Yeah, but he also had all this other stuff he did before. I think yeah, here, I hear know. me out. Hear me out, guys. Hear me out, guys. I think with Nicholson, this is his blockbuster, his first big blockbuster. Chinatown wasn't a blockbuster. He had won his Oscar, but he never had a blockbuster. And I think this I mean, is it wasn't a blockbuster. And it wasn't. Yeah, that's yeah, a good I point. Yeah, I was gonna that's say. I point. was like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Did I miss the box office? That's here? a good point. That's a good point. This <laughs> flopped, didn't yeah. it? I was yeah. like, it's then it wasn't a blockbuster. So that's why I just feel so like. I, it, I, I take offense with the chauvinist thing because I think it goes in line with the if a woman was the bigger star, then he would have mistreated the, the the bigger star is the one that gets treated the best on set. It still goes on today. So let's say Lucille Ball was on set and it was. Uh, oh, Lucy wouldn't have taken this. Let shit. me finish. Okay. Let me finish. Lucille Ball was Wendy and you had uh, John Smith <laughs> as Jack Torrance. He would have probably treated her as the superstar and Jack John Smith as he can treat him like however he wants because he's replaceable kind of thing. He might have actually used the axe. But don't you think that maybe it's like he treated the person how he needs the character to react? Yeah, like, I think that's why he did it. Star power or they're not like he was trying to beat down Duvall's psyche so that she could become that character on film. And like, I guess with, and similarly, the cheese sandwiches was his way to torture Jack Nicholson. Um, but like, he didn't need Jack to become like meek. He needed Jack to become pissed. Yeah. So cheese was the way to do that. Yeah, he did it both yeah. ways if Jeez. you look at it. All right. So next up, I love casting what ifs with these classic films because you just never, never know. Stanley Kubrick considered Robert De Niro and Robin Williams for the role of Jack Torrance. I could see De Niro. Wow. I, De, 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 De Niro. Niro. De Niro would have been amazing. Like, yeah, because with K. Fear, you could see that he could do dark, and then with Robin Williams with Insomnia and one, they've like they've shown in their careers both of them that they could have like done stuff. Robin Williams being just he was known for that spinoff from like Happy Days. I don't think he had it in him at that time to do it, but Robert De Niro definitely could have done it at the time. Yeah, I think the reason Kubrick went against it was because of Taxi Driver, how he was more subdued. De Niro in, in Taxi Driver, and he's like, I need someone just over the top. And at that point, JC, I don't think Nobody. De Niro had been over the top yet. No. Oh. Uh, not yeah, no, I don't. Because I Mean so. Street, no, Mean Streets, he wasn't really, and then Taxi Driver, absolutely not. Yeah, because I when you said that, I was like, I could see Robin Williams maybe over no. Robert De Niro. I don't know why. Like, I just feel like. Well, he also he also considered these people. This is according to Stephen King. Kubrick also considered Harrison Ford. No. Chevy Chase. <laughs> no. Hell no. Martin Sheen. <laughs> no. Mar- Martin Sheen. Mm-mm. Leslie Nielsen. No. And, Cr- and Christopher no, Reeve. Le- Leslie Nielsen wasn't really known for comedy un- until on um, the Naked the Naked Gun and Airplane. So at that time he was really known like as a serious actor. I remember he did Creep Show the same year. Mm-hmm. So like at that time, like I don't think there was like so far fetched to like that op- that consideration. And then uh, Christopher Reeve would have been interesting. It would have been interesting, but because Warner, of Superman, there's Warner no Brothers way. would have never let him do that because he had that Superman. <laughs> All right, next up, let's see. Oh, okay. So you mentioned the Stephen King had involvement in here. This is where I think the beef comes from. According to prior to hiring Diane Johnson, co-wrote with so he wrote yes. co-wrote with a woman. Stanley Kubrick reject, <laughs> rejected rejected. A screenplay written by Stephen King. 
Okay. So I think that's where the beefs started. King Script was more literal, much more literal adaptation of the novel and a much more traditional horror film than Kubrick would ultimately make. He was considering hiring Johnson because he admired her in The Shadow Knows. Essentially, the rumor is that Kubrick just threw screen, uh, Stephen King's screenplay in the garbage. That's pretty much where all the, where I think the beef came from. <laughs> For sure. And it, hearing all this stuff about Kubrick, it makes sense. It seems something he would do. All right. Next up, um, this one you know, JC, but I don't think Leo and Jenny may know. During, uh, during the filming. Yes. During the filming, <laughs> Stanley Kubrick made the cast watch Eraserhead and Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist to put them in the right mindset. Wow. I don't recommend Eraserhead to anybody. <laughs> um, I love David Lynch, but I don't recommend Twin Peaks. I recommend Twin Peaks to everybody. <laughs> and, and Mulholland Drive. Seriously. You better, you like, better be thanking me for these things. I do. I do. It's like okay. every day there's something. David Lynch. David Lynch. David Lynch. Leo. Sorry, I, I, Leo. I mean, every I, I give day. JC. JC's the one that is like, because I have been watch, wanting like, to watch. you're obsessed. I have been wanting to watch Twin Peaks for years, but I never got to it. But like JC kind of prepared for me for it. David Lynch is not for everybody. But uh-huh. if you can get to JC, if you can get through David Lynch movies, I th- I think you can deal with any mind fuck movie ever. <laughs> That's pretty much what I how I put David Lynch's stuff. Yeah, th- there's nothing that he does that another director I think would do in terms of trying to confuse the audience or try to make them think and stuff. So yeah, like he doesn't even like to do director commentary in his movies because he feels like he likes he likes for the audience to interpret whatever however way they want to interpret his movies, which I think is great. That's how. Every filmmaker should want to do their movie because, like, it's, it makes for fun discussion when everybody has a different theory of what the movie might mean. Exactly. All right. Uh, despite being a horror movie, next up, it only has two deaths in the entire movie and only one murder in the entire movie. Uh, the opening fa- next up, the opening famous uh, opening scene was shot in Glacier National Park in Montana, which actually is closed for the winter the same way. Uh, they said it was for the Overlook and the Shining. This is interesting. The film was shot at the same film studio that was used for Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. In fact, some of the fake snow that was used in the movie was also used in Hoth. Oh, oh fun. <laughs> That's dope. That's yeah. a good fact. That was that was a good one. And I mentioned you mentioned before about the Razzies during despite the critical success that the film eventually had, the film was given those Razzie nominations uh during this is uh Jen, Jen's gonna say entitlement here but I'm gonna I'm gonna lay this fact out anyway <laughs> during the grueling shoot the Wimbledon tennis tournament was in full swing in the UK Jack Nicholson is a huge tennis fan and <laughs> he faked back pain and asked for a few days off a few days later Stanley Kubrick grant he granted him the break unfortunately for Jack Kubrick was watching Wimbledon on TV and he saw Nicholson in the crowd. That's funny. Well, I mean, because, you got bag pain in, in, and Kubrick was pissed off. Game. Kubrick was well, pissed off. Well, because he was going to be, he was going to be, um, you know, he's a big sports fan anyhow. He yeah. loves basketball, obviously. Like, yeah, so I wouldn't surprise me that he wasn't, I'm sure he was sitting front row. Yeah. At that point. Um, and obviously, like, and I also learned a lot more about Jack Nicholson by reading Angelica Houston's oh, God. <laughs> biography. So they were together for like almost twenty years. So it's yeah, I'm yeah. not surprised. I just thought it was funny. I don't. I don't think it's entitlement. <laughs> I think he wanted to go off. Like I mean, you know, 
Do you think Kubrick was more upset that Jack was there or that Jack didn't invite him I to go I think he him? didn't invite him. I think that has to be it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's clearly, clearly both of them are watching Wimbledon, right? So he's yeah, like, oh, like, oh, I wish I would have gone. And it's funny about Kubrick. Like, if you hear him talk, he has the vo- most relaxing voice. You'd never think he'd be this menace on the set. He sounds like the nicest man. Uh, next up, this would have been dope, but we got a great score anyway. John Williams was initially hired to to score the film. Oh, wow. That would have been interesting. I think it would have just been a different type of score. I, don't I think, agree. Because I think John Williams is more... Uplifting. Orchestra. I don't. Yeah, th- he's never he's never done a horror movie, right? No, I can't think of anything. Jaws will be the closest. And yeah, I don't even consider that a horror film. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, yeah it would have been interesting, but yeah, we we ended up getting a selection of music from different composers. Uh, next up, Stephen King said <laughs> Kubrick's vision of Wendy Torrance is one of the most misogynistic characters ever to be put on film. She just dared to be scream and be stupid. <laughs> Jennifer told you. Whatever. Next. I mean, yeah, it's true. I mean, he's not wrong, man. That's that's <laughs> one of the worst. Yeah. I mean, I mean, going just going back to my earlier point. <laughs> um, think of think of Stanley Kubrick's filmography. Yes. Think of the women that have been in those films. Doesn't have many. Doesn't have many. There's a lot of supporting N- players. Neither does Martin Scorsese or Quinn or. or well, I would have to say QT, but. Morris Corsetti doesn't really have. I couldn't compare. I would never compare Lorraine Bracco's character to Wendy Torrent to Shelley Duvall's character. No, of course that. not. This is totally different. Well, she's supporting, nah. but she's still. I don't. I think they're both weak in different ways. Yeah, but I think she's still stronger. Yeah, she stood up to him. Yeah, she had the gun in his face. Like, for like once, Wendy Torrent. Wendy Torrent is like a caricature of yeah. what a woman is. Yeah, whereas yeah, yeah. Lorraine Bracco is like an actual woman. Like she has, in this different, like it's a different role, and again, very different time periods here, I guess, and like I guess the eighties, nineties, but it's it's just different. Um, so like Stanley Kubrick, even you know, even and again, it's also the material that he's adapted it from, right? So these books also like A Clockwork Orange. Oh, I love Clockwork Orange. With the Someday. women in oh, yeah, the, that, that movie. Yeah, the, yeah, well, they had the rape scene, yeah. The, you know, right. like yeah, that, that was... like, there's no, you know. Oh, even yeah, Nicole you're... Kidman's character is kind of like, bleh. I remember when I first saw, because uh, I, that's actually the movie I avoided and I regret avoiding because I, I saying, think it's a very underrated there's masterpiece. There's no strength in, Which one? in the uh, oh, Eyes, Wide, Eyes Shut? Wide Shut. I think it's extremely underrated. And I avoided it because it's like, I thought it was something it's really not. But yeah. the biggest surprise that I got from watching the movie is that how little Nicole Kidman is in it. I thought she'd <laughs> actually have a lot more to do, but she's barely in it. Uh, so next up, to finish up the facts, Warner Brothers previously offered Stanley Kubrick to direct The Exorcist. And Oh, that movie would have been a mind fucking a half. And then he considered Jack Nicholson to play Father Karras, which would have been interesting. But w- w- the eventual director, William Friedkin, didn't believe Nicholson could eff- effectively play a priest. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he did Kubrick behavior anyways. He, he fucked up um, Ellen, Ellen Burstein's back because with the wires that he was ke- he mm-hmm. kept pulling her in. Yep. Yeah. Like, he pretty much, it would have been the same shoot as The Shining. So, it pretty much the same. Exactly. All right. And then, last couple of years, like I mentioned, in Stanley Kubrick's original treatment, the resolution was completely different. Originally, instead of being confronted in her room by an axe-wielding Jack after he was freed from the storage room, Wendy goes outside her room to see if Jack 
has indeed made his escape. He then jumps out and surprises her, chokes her, and smashes her head into the wall. Wendy then takes her knife and stabs him in the stomach, fatally killing him. As she attempts to crawl away, Jack remains alive, crawling in pursuit in an ensuing struggle until she finally he finally passes out and dies. Um, only to hear the sound of a snowcat arrive. She then attempts to locate Danny, only to find he is nowhere to be found. Dick Halloran in this version actually survives, and he arrives at the door only to encounter uh Grady, have a brief conversation about some business. Halloran has to finish, to which he then uh gets a hold of the axe and maniacally pursues Danny. So pretty much they do like an inverse mm-hmm. and they possess the hotel possesses uh Halloran. When first released, the film had an alternate ending. Now this actually shot at the sh- at at the after the shot of Jack's body, the film dissolves into to a scene of a policeman outside the hotel. It then cuts to a scene in a hospital where Wendy is resting in bed and Danny is playing in the waiting room. Omen arrives and tells and uh, tells her that they have been unable to locate her husband's body anywhere on the property. On his way out, Omen gives Danny a ball, the same one that mysteriously rolled into the hallway earlier in the film, before Danny was attacked in room 237. Omen laughs and walks away as the film dissolves to the move through the corridors of the fo- uh, to the photo. And then Kubrick decided to change it to what we got. Do you like this ending, guys, or do you think what we got was better? I like what we got. Yeah, same here. Uh, and then Steven Spielberg praised the scene where Wendy finds Jack's novel because of Kubrick's decision not to make it a uh, traditional horror trope. He said that that would be the scene where she's reading and he jumps from behind. He did, The fact that Kubrick doesn't do that, Spielberg praised. And he also praised the fact that when we did get that jump scare where Jack kills... Spielberg? Stephen Spiel- King. No, Stephen oh, Spielberg. Oh. Yeah. Uh, when we finally do get a jump scare where Jack kills Halloran, that it actually feels like a scare that you didn't see coming. And finally, <laughs> The Shining was eventually readapted to a 1997 miniseries that follows Stephen King's book more closely because of his dissatisfaction with Stanley Kubrick's adaptation. However, Kubrick owned the rights to the 1980 adaptation, so in order for King to get the rights to readapt his own book to the, into a miniseries, Kubrick required that he sign a legally binding contract that forced King to no longer be able to bring up the criticism of Kubrick's film. Wow. That, that probably is pissed such him off. a flex. That's incredible. Yep. <laughs> I when I when I read that, I was like, Yep. Kubrick I think Kubrick got the last laugh on this. So that wraps up the shining. Let's move into the t- I'm, it, very minimal discussion on the TV film. It was pretty much shot the same way the stand was shot and it was shot. It was uh, three parts and it's not good, but it did really well in terms of ratings. It had 19.8 million uh, viewers becoming the 12th highest viewed program with a rating of 12.5 in a market since uh, of all time. And then the second part also ranked number 12 with 18.3 million viewers i've seen it have you seen the tv no uh leo have you seen the tv version of it i don't think so no and jc have you seen it no you you told me not to even worry about it when i was gonna watch it yesterday so i I didn't bother it's very it's it's essentially the the book you get the ending of the book it's you know 
he's a really nice guy and then he turns evil and then uh the ending of the book is that he burns in the overlook that's pretty much the only difference uh, well one of the main differences now let's get to dr sleep uh dr sleep came out last year and i just last week we did our top 15 horror films since 2000 it was actually my number one um right. i think dr sleep falls in line with the history of the shiny i think it's underappreciated right now i think this movie i think will age very well i love the fact that mike flanagan is able to homage kubrick and homage king and he kind of blended them together to give us the movie that we got uh thoughts on dr sleep jenny i really liked it i thought it was really really i haven't read the book um but I thought it was really good from what I know and I've heard from people that have read the book. Mm-hmm. It was a good adaptation. I think I really enjoyed uh, Ewan McGregor as Danny growing up. I loved, um, I can't remember the actress's name, but the new Danny in the movie. Um, Rebecca Ferguson, I think, plays a terrific Rose villain. Rose the Hat. Yeah. Huh? Rose the Hat. Yeah. Rose the Hat. Yeah. So she like terrific, like that whole camp, just everything. We got a little Jacob Tremblay cameo. Love that. That, which, oh my God, that which was not expected because I didn't know who was going to be in the movie. Um, just the whole movie was just really, really good. And I think the ending was very satisfying. And I think that if Stephen King were to write another book, which I'm pretty sure he's not going to, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see the next movie. But if not, I think this this ended it really well. And to before we move on to JC, I what I meant were, uh, that he paid homage to King was the fact that the ending of this movie is what the ending of the shining the actually is that he you know dies in in the in the overlook only this time it's danny that dies and not you know jack spoiler alert spoiler alert, spoiler alert. but if you're listening hey, to this whoever, you've seen yeah, the movie whoever, and whoever wanted to see that would have been seeing it exactly uh jc thoughts on dr sleep oh i, I love it like you know we've spoken a lot about it offline like i didn't think it was the best horror movie of the past decade but it was definitely in my top five like as jenny said the performances is great like i feel like um you mcgregor really did a like a great like the way similar i feel that since they dealt with alcoholism a lot more in this one i feel like it stayed like more yeah. faithful to like the book and i love the fact that how flanagan like basically he, he it was a sequel to the book and a sequel to kubrick's movie like it's like a perfect way to blend like stay faithful to the book but also that uh, like also be a sequel to like a very respected film and like i remember when like that to me i think that movie is better than it had any right to be but Agreed. i always had faith it had i had faith in it because i like a lot of flanagan's work you know like gerald's game i love hush and then i I really thought the first season of haunting of hill house was really great so like i never i never had any doubt that it would have it would have good i just didn't expect to love it the way i did especially like when i remember i read the run so it was gonna be 152 minutes yeah, I was I, like, I thought I had a, I thought it was gonna be maybe like a chance to be too boring. So I'm glad it wasn't. Yeah, I actually was thinking that uh, the fact that the runtime was a hundred and something minutes, and I actually saw the the director's cut yesterday, and I think that the director's cut is really great stuff. I think it's one of those that it doesn't add too too much. It just extends on what we already got, and I think it 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 fully. Uh, Flanagan's vision. And before we move on to Leo, going back on what you said, JC, um, why it was a sequel to both outside of paying homage, Flanagan said that 
the shining is burned itself into the collective imagination of people who love cinema in a way that so few, few movies have there's no other language to tell this story if you say overlook hotel i see something that um it lives right up in my brain because of stanley kubrick so that's why he decided you know what i'm gonna do this but pay tribute to both parties uh leo you saw it for the first time yesterday what did you think yeah, so Doctor Sleep I hadn't seen before. I know that um, when the trailers were coming out, uh, I it, it didn't dawn on me that it was related to um, to the actual The Shining until we had the conversation here on the podcast. And then it's like, oh, I did a little more research on it. I'm like, oh, okay, so it is. It's like a it's a it's a sequel. Um, so watching the movies back to back, it's an incredible homage to it visually. So um, even just like down to like the original, like the the music being used right at the onset of the movie when it begins. Um, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was a really good movie. Um, I don't know if I agree that it's going to get better with time in the way The Shining did, Mm -hmm. simply because The Shining was a little bit more ambiguous. It was psychological horror, and it it wasn't purely either or the other. Like, it it wasn't really determined. I think it was during 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 the documentary of 237, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, that it's mentioned that only one true supernatural thing happens when the door is open from the freezer. Yep, that's Other true. Other than that, the that's whole movie is pretty ambiguous. Whereas Dr. Sleep is sci-fi. It is 100%. There's powers. There's stuff happening. Like, there's no ambiguity really to it. Um, so I think it's a little bit more right in your face. Um, and I don't know if that's going to challenge audiences the way the, that The Shining did. Yep. Um, but, but both movies really awesome i just as jenny said the cast in dr sleep was dope um but i just geeked out at all the awesome callbacks yep i thought that was just off uh, yeah i like that they say the overlook for the last 45 minutes because in retrospect i didn't actually i actually think we got more of the overlook than i thought we would so the fact mm-hmm. that we were able to get a little bit in the opening which he recreates the overlook beautifully in the yeah. opening and then we yeah. get the last 45 minutes of the movie at the Overlook, it's it's fantastic, and like you mentioned, the score, and then the callbacks with the the nice surprise we get Jack with uh oh my god Henry Thomas playing Jack that was a nice surprise, and I think that I didn't recognize him. Oh really? I I knew the voice right. I heard the voice. I'm like, oh, I think that's Henry Thomas. It's Elliot. <laughs> and the fact that he Flanagan uses his he pretty much has the same crew, so it was nice of him to use him there. And then Dr. Sleep, I think if you guys love The Shining, I think you'll love Dr. Sleep. And let's finish this off talking about Room 237. Um, <laughs> I fucking love this documentary, guys. I think this is, it's just so ridiculous. Some of these things that are, it, it, JC, I'll, I know you like at least than, than us. <laughs> what did you think about Room 237? Well, like, I had since, I, I had known that it wasn't a full documentary on the movie. Like, I thought, you know, to some people, they see that they're going to think it's a documentary just about, like, the making of it and about the history of it. So, like, I feel like that's why some people don't like it because, you know, they see it and they see it's all about this conspiracy theories and stuff like that. It kind of turns them off a bit. Like, I would actually like to see a documentary just on the making and all that and the legacy of it. But I did like this. It's just the way, I guess, the way you raved about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I guess you oversold, you oversold it a bit. I did like it. Don't get me wrong. Like I like like we spoke offline about how supposedly the the moon landing they used stuff in two thousand one. I, I thought that right. was cool and everything. And it was like I like the fact that it was like in a in its own way it was like a documentary about like Kubrick's career. You know because they talked about two thousand one. They talk about the shining. They talk about eyes wide shut. So 
I mean, like I said, it's good. It's just, I guess, I feel like you overhyped it too much. You know what the thing is? I, I really, I, I love a good conspiracy theory. Oh, and, I know you do. And when it came to Kubrick, I was, I had always heard that all his, everything he does in a movie has a meaning. So the fact that this documentary exists and The Shining already has his reputation, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. So when I saw this, when I first saw it, I'm like, Oh my god! Like this is just some of them are ridiculous. Don't get me wrong, and I do have a list of some of these when we when we get our our, our thoughts on it. But yeah, I I love it, Leo. <laughs> did you laugh yeah, a few times? So, so yeah, JC, you you hit it on the head. Like I could not say it better than the way you just said it. <laughs> when I started watching, when I started watching the documentary, uh, it was after watching Doctor Sleep and The Shining, right? So I'm like, I'm right in that mindset. I'm like, I can't wait yeah. to learn so much more about the movie. And I'm hearing all these like wackos bring out like all these crazy theories, and I'm like, wait a minute, this can't be the right documentary. This can't be the thing David wanted me to watch. Yes. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I do, I do think that some of them like made up some pretty cool points about some visual things that were put into the movie and learning more about Stanley Kubrick. I, I wouldn't put it past him, but this felt more like, yo, if I wanted to rewatch the movie and make a case that this is the origin of Batman in this movie, like I possibly could find examples visually there too, if I really wanted to. <laughs> I mean, I'm it's like, probably it's, Jack Napier's. just go, it's, it's Jack Napier's origin. That's why Tim Burton didn't bother to do one. He just knew that was Jack Napier's origin. <laughs> just watch The Shining, and and you know why he became the Joker. Exactly. Uh, but no, I thought, I thought, I thought, like I, I do, I do love conspiracy theories too. But I'm just like, I was amazed by, like, one how dedicated all these fans are to watch the movie to these intensities. Um, but yeah, no, this was not what I expected. <laughs> I was expecting. Uh, Oh, I told I did I prepare like, you. I did say it was out there. No, no, yeah, you, 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 you prepared me. Like, but when I first heard about it, I really thought it was just like a, about the making of it. Like, I hadn't really looked into it too much until you told me. So, like, you prepared me. There was gonna be a lot of conspiracy stuff, but like Leo said, a lot of the stuff that they were saying sometimes was like wackos. It's like what the fuck. Well, I ha- yeah, bro. Nothing you said could have prepared me for World War Two Nazis and. Uh, <laughs> Native American atrocities. I'm glad Wait, that you what? brought. I'm glad that you brought that up because that's some of the ones that I did want to run through. Um, so here's one in the Kubrick in the clouds. In the opening shot, a car zooms down the road toward the Overlook Hotel, viewed from above, is an apparent an apparent helicopter shot. As the credits scroll, they lead your eyes straight into the clouds at the top of the frame. According to one conspiracy theorist, Kubrick is embedded an image of himself into the single frame within the clouds. If you look closely enough, you can see the outline of his beard. I, I, did you guys see that? I was hoping they were going to circle the image in the clouds. I kept fooling fooling myself. I'm like, oh, that's it. No, there's got to be that. No, it's over there. I'm like, well, they're going to show it. They're going to reveal to me where it is. And they never reveal to me where it is. It's like, it's like like that sailboat stuff. (laughs) Yes. And I'm like, you know what? This proves to me that even the, the the producer of this documentary never found the face, <laughs> and he can't prove it. It's there. This one I did like. Uh, Dopey is missing. When the camera slowly crawls into young Danny's bedroom early on in the film, it passes by a few stickers, to uh, and one of them includes Dopey from The Seven Dwarves. A later shot after Danny has endured many of the frightening things lurking at the Overlook Hotel reveals that Dopey has vanished from the door. 
one of the the narrator who discovered a disconnect said Con- continuity error i don't think so he's no longer a dope he has been enlightened i actually do like that it's probably nothing but i do really like that one this is the one that leo was talking about before the holocaust <laughs> The, the prospects of The Shining as a Holocaust allegory start to make sense when one devotee explains in a voiceover that the movie dedicates itself to showing how not to be a victim of history. Terrible events happen at the Overlook, but Danny learns that they go away if he closes his eyes. There are reasons to believe that Kubrick felt uncomfortable com- confronting the Holocaust head on, and many have found them have found a method to embed it in unlikely places. The theory is close cousin to the interpretation that the whole movie revolves around the systematic destruction of the American Indians. Yeah. I mean, the Jay-Z can attest to this. The Holocaust thing is actually a lot truer than uh, others because Kubrick did avoid making a Holocaust movie for a very long time. And And he wanted to do... Well, yeah, go ahead. You can finish it off. No, no, that, that I know that he wanted to do one, but like he he said, as after Schindler's List, he felt like nobody could do a Holocaust movie better than that, and it's not even worth trying. Yep, yep. So I, I think the plans were after Schindler's List, he had another one lined up. As soon as Schindler's List came out, it was he just put it to the side. But it took him a long time to even want to do one. So yeah, that's that. Um, my favorite one. One of the most spectacular theories in the movie that Kubrick was hired by the American government to fake the Apollo moon landing <laughs> and the shining is his way of explaining himself. An interview, he said that uh, owning the shining on Blu-ray allows one to see enough detail to reach the conclusion. Jack Torres's constant bickering with his wife about his job responsibility voiced Kubrick's own justification for why he had to comply with the American government. Other pertinent details at one point danny wears a sorter with the images of apollo 11 on it and the infamous room turn 237 contains a key with the label room no 237 letters that can be arranged to spell moon moon room <laughs> i love it i fucking love it this is it for me that's the one that i was like i love this documentary it just you, all, all jokes aside you guys should look that up it's actually a very interesting read because there's more to it than just a documentary. I think Kubrick's actually talked about this, and it, so it's 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 something you guys should take a look at. It's it's wild. I love it. I believe it. I'm nuts too. It's great. Uh, and then the last one is beware the number forty two. There are forty two vehicles visible in the overlooked parking lot. Danny and his mother watched Summer of Forty Two on TV. The hotel was built in 1907, and forty two is a is a multiple of seven. And the final shot of the movie features a, photog- a photograph taken in July, the seventh month of the year. The movie uses Thomas Mann's novel as a constant reference point, and Mann uses the number seven as uh, indicating danger. Take that belief for granted. Kubrick has burrowed into our minds with numerical specificity. So that's it. You guys have, th- listeners, have three great movies to watch, two great ones, a great documentary. JC Leo. Thanks for joining us today, Jenny, as always. Thanks. Next week, we are looking at the Psycho franchise. I can't wait to watch Psycho. Jenny can't wait to watch the remake. Until then, see you at the movies, kids. <laughs> <laughs>